Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Emily Prado. Emily Prado is a writer, community organizer, and DJ based in Portland. When not writing or teaching, Emily moonlights as a DJ, Mommy Miami, with Nocha Libre, the Latinx DJ collective she co-founded in 2017. Her debut essay collection, Funeral for Flaca, has been called Utterly Vulnerable, Bold, and Unique by Miss Magazine. Funeral for Flaca is now out with Future Tense Books and is available wherever books are sold. In this episode, we talk about her book, Funeral for Flaca, touring in COVID times, and what it's like to be a DJ. Get ready for some dorky music talk where I ramble and Emily somehow puts up with it. I hope you enjoy the show. Sorry, I just made like chai right as I was about to like start this. So how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm chill. I'm a very boring person, so... (laughs) What have you been doing with your life so far? Are, are you still, I was reading your site, you're in Portland? Yeah, I'm based in Portland, and I was on book tour for uh, about a month, but I have been back for a couple weeks now, and I've just been figuring out my new schedule and life. That sounds awesome. Portland is my dream city. I'm in Chicago, and I want to get the fuck out of here so badly. I have visited Chicago a few times, and I like it, but I hear it's rough, just like seasonally um, intense winters and summers and such. I can tell you right now that, like, okay, I'll look at my watch. It's 68 degrees, but it feels like it's 40. It's freezing outside. Whoa. Yeah. It's like... Really? I hate using the term bipolar as, like, a description for other things, but it's like bipolar weather. It's either insanely mm-hmm. hot or insanely cold. even when the weather says different like oh it's a lovely day out like bullshit it's not (laughs) but no that's why I like uh, Portland you get to wear layers and chill and you have like 10 times more coffee shops than we do Mm, yeah there's, there's some good coffee here would it be like a weird thing if I asked what part of Portland you're from um, well, I actually am from the Bay Area in California, and I've been here since 2009, but I am living and have mostly lived in Southeast Portland, but I am in um, a little quaint neighborhood called Brentwood, Darlington. Hmm. So you got there before the big Portlandia craze. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I witnessed it for sure, but yeah, before uh, people knew where Portland was. <laughs> before they knew it was the, the dream of the 90s. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably what got me into Portland, I hate to say, but <laughs> I wanna say that I tried moving there um like eight years ago, but I only mm-hmm. lasted a couple weeks then came back here. So Wow. Well, it's always here if you want to give it another go. Oh, I, I'm always willing to give it another goal. I mean right now my next attempt is Istanbul. I know. Very different feel Mm -hmm. there but you know that's life that's cool i've I've been there actually i'm looking at your cool place (laughs) oh yeah istanbul's great i just got back from there oh cool awesome i'm Um, looking at your thing it says uh mama mommy miami is that your dj name oh (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I didn't know that you could see that. Yeah, so, you know, you can name your headphones. And I thought it'd be funny because, you know, there's Beats by Dre. Yeah. And so I named mine both by Mommy Miami. <laughs> I've seen interesting things like that. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize. I could see the entire screen. You could only see, like, maybe, like, bits of it. But, yeah. Just the this window, though, right? Yeah. Whereas, okay. like, I have the multi-track levels and, like, headphones and everything. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks. So if you sound terrible, don't worry. I can fix it. No, thank you. Of course, you'll do far better than me at fixing it if I needed any help. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just on SoundCloud checking out some of your stuff. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, I don't have a lot on SoundCloud. Um, I just don't often get around to actually uploading the mixes, but there are a couple there. Yeah, a couple. Definitely definitely a couple would be the best descriptor. <laughs> Why don't you post more? <laughs> um, because it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get around to it. I think, um, you know, I am interested in DJing live sets, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of even prep work with the uploading of the mixes on SoundCloud that just um, sometimes I don't get around to because I have other priorities. <laughs> really, like my my main thing in life and things that I center everything else around is my writing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you see yourself more as a writer or DJ? <laughs> well, I see myself as both, but I'm more invested in trying to be the best writer that I can be in a way that I'm not invested in DJing where I love DJing and it's really fun. And I definitely want to continue to improve my mixing skills and such, but I'm not worried about making, making more of my life being centered around DJing. So I continue to DJ. It's a part of also how I make a living. Um, and it's something that I definitely enjoy and brings me, this sort of sense of release that writing doesn't because writing is very analytical and in your feelings, whereas DJing <laughs> um, is kind of mathematical and is still in your feelings in that you're assessing the vibe of a space or maybe even a narrative that you're trying to create with the mix. I also but feel like it's a little physical, really different. definitely, too. Yeah, you feel it and you're moving and yeah, yeah. go... I love I love both of them, but um, writing is more of what I, you know, see myself doing when I'm like 80. But we'll see. Maybe I'll also DJ still. So. <laughs> that would be the greatest of. thing. You'll be DJing at your like nursing home. It'll be the coolest place ever. <laughs> the dream of the yeah. 90s in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, you just came out with a new book, Funeral for Flaca. Can you give me a quick synopsis of it? Yeah, Funeral for Flaca is a coming-of-age essay collection that explores my experience in mostly white spaces in the Bay Area where I grew up. I grew up in a pretty white suburb, and then when I moved to Portland, also a pretty white space, and it navigates my experience of identity as a brown Chicana and also many other themes such as grief, love, loss, family and my experiences with both mental health struggles and surviving sexual assault mm -hmm. no. um, and then the other tidbit sorry I'll just mention oh, is on. that 
each of the essays in this essay collection is titled after a song, which is also a nod to my DJ roots. See, that's a big reason why I wanted you to do this. Um, I was sent the <laughs> book and uh, Malden House, the press that I run, we did a review of it. I really, really enjoyed it. So I want to know, like, how, how do those two relate for you, the writing and the DJing? Well, thank you first for, um, again, taking the time to do a review and also reading the work. Uh, for me, the music was intrinsic and sort of inherent in the project from the very beginning. There is an essay that's called Keep Your Head Up, which is about my experience in middle school as a 13-year-old who was suffering from depression and keep your head up without giving away too much about it is a song by Tupac Shakur that really helped me stay in life, basically. It really, really saved me in some ways. And I could not think of another title for that essay that would better summarize it. And so in conversation with the mentor I had at the time, uh, the project was born during a year-long community writing workshop. She actually suggested that I continue that theme then if it really felt true that, you know, the song title was what had to stay. And then from there, I ended up building the rest of the essays along the same lines where I'd pick song titles. Sometimes those songs are things that I associate with like being on the background growing up, like Heartbreak Hotel by Whitney Houston. My mom played that a lot when she was going through the separation with my dad. And then others are songs that I just felt like encapsulated the mood or the story um, of the particular essay, like La Llorona, which is a, has a song that's been performed many times and is about the Mexican folktale of uh, La Llorona. But I wanted to include Chavela Vargas's rendition of it um, in a essay that explores my relationship to Mexico and nicknames. Interesting. Now, you just said a very big thing. There obviously are a lot of uh, different genre titles. What is your main genre that you love the most? I can't pick one genre, just like I can't pick one just essay. Just like a DJ it's... to say. <laughs> And But I will say that um, I was excited about actually bringing that to the collection. It's really eclectic. There's, you know, uh, reggaeton in there. Um, there are rancheras and there's pop music. Uh, one of the pop songs I'm thinking about besides like Spice Girls is um, this song by the fictional band Protozoa. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is a very wide range of music and of course Tupac. So that is very much what I was raised on um, as also a first-generation Mexican-American. You know, I had songs that my parents listened to. My parents also had very different upbringings from each other. And also, I grew up in the Bay Area. So I feel like that's pretty reflected in the collection. I always like hearing uh, the music that immigrants listen to and everything, like what was popular in their countries and everything. My fiancé, he's Bulgarian, they're still very deeply stuck in the 70s there when it comes to music. <laughs> what kind of music did you grow up listening to? Like, what, what did you hear your parents listening to? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier a little bit that my mom listened to a lot of Whitney Houston, and she actually listened to a lot of hip-hop and R&B. She was born in Mexico but moved to the United States when she was two years old. 
And so a lot of our upbringing, also she was really young when she had me and my sister and my brother, um, was of like what you would expect a person to listen to who is in their early 20s when they have children and Mm -hmm. they listen to the radio. Um, But also she had a big love and has a big love for uh, like Mexican rock, rock and Espanol, like um, Shakira and Mana. Shakira, when she did more rock stuff, I guess <laughs> I should clarify. Um, and of course, at family parties, too, we listen to a lot of um, rancheras. And so that's where you see there's a Ramon Ayala song and there's a Vicente Fernandez song. And those are just folks who also really epitomize what it's like to be at a Mexican party in the United States or Mexico and what is being blasted at the end of the night, especially when there's been a lot of tequila. It's all those things like I always wonder, like, is it a really weird transition, like going from like, say a party like that to like the next day going to a really all white school and have them listening to like, I don't know, like all time low and shit like that. Well, I also went through a punk phase that I mentioned. Um, so, you know, it was, it, they always just felt like different spaces. So it didn't really feel shocking other than that was just what I always knew. Like mm-hmm. school where I grew up was always pretty um, white, though my high school was more diverse, but still actually very self-segregated. Um and so I never expected that school would look different, I guess. I never thought that it was possible that school looked different until I was older and um, even in, like, post-college realizing that there's, like, really amazing institutions, um, like, historically black, black colleges. And there are places that I had no idea existed uh, until I was an adult. Oh, yeah. I would say that's definitely an our generation thing. Where, I don't know, what was it like that we were taught that no child left behind? We're, we weren't really given a lot of information, I feel, our age range. I'm just guessing you're around my age range. How old are you? Uh, I'm 30. What's up? Okay, we're good. <laughs> that would have been bad if you're like, I'm 21. Be like, I'm sorry, no. Gen Zer. <laughs> But it's like you mentioned Tupac and like some good like punk music. I was like, you're, you're with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, definitely there's a, a song too in high school. It was like a Sean Paul song that was definitely of that era. Um, mid aughts or late aughts actually. I like calling them so. the aughts because the Gen Z kids have no idea what we're talking about. Um, I think, yeah, the odds just sound uh, special in a way that, like, the OOs don't. <laughs> they have so many different names for our shit, where I'm just like, you know what, fine. I'm just going to say the odds, and you're going to be confused every single time. I don't care. Yeah, it's it's not um, super obvious what the odds mean, I will say. <laughs> the only question I have is actually, what do we call, like, after, are they the tens? Like, now that we're in the 20s, like, 2010 to 2020, are, are they just the 10s? Like, what, what are we calling that shit? I guess so. That's what I would guess. I don't know that the writer side of me is um, always a little more focused on, like, you know, the creative generative side, and then later comes the fact-checking and research, so. 
that would be something I'd have to file for later. Yeah, it's definitely like, I don't know, is the creator though. I mean, creators tend to be the ones who actually come up with, say, also like the nicknames for movements <laughs> and everything and the era and everything. And yeah, we could be like, oh, it's the early 21st century, but it's like we're kind of past mm-hmm. that. I don't know. I think we should come I up like with I like the one. tens because I think about, you know, in ball culture, tens across the board, that's what you want. It's uh, That's winning. So we'll call them the tens. Fuck yeah. I like it. That's a high five <laughs> from Chicago to where you are. I felt it. Thank you. Hell yeah. <laughs> I am really excited that we got connected. Uh, Kevin Samsel is the one who sent me all the information. You know him personally? Um, yeah. So I actually met Kevin when I self-published the sort of DIY chapbook version of Funeral for Flaca. Like I mentioned, it was a creative project for a writing workshop that I was taking at this place in Portland that I love called the Independent Publishing Resource Center. And so after I made this uh, chat book that's um, even smaller than half as big, so I don't know, 40% the size of what Fiona Perfleca is now, I pitched it to Powell's and Kevin is the small press curator and zine curator at Powell's. So he offered to purchase a bunch of copies and help me get into Powell's. And then that's how I'd first been connected with him. And when he was putting out a call for submissions to Future Tense books, that's how I kind of reconnected with him to publish Funeral for Fleca in, in its expanded, glorious version. I dig it. I met him at Powell's for the first time, too. I was probably definitely more, like, bummish looking than you were. I was definitely trying to be my Portlandia self, And I was trying to sell Malden House books. I was just like, you want this shit, right? Like, come on. And he said yes, right? Yeah, yeah. He was totally into it. (laughs) Even though I was like shocked. Like, all right, thank you. That's cool. Because a lot of people want to do it where they want to do it like on consignment. And he was just like, no, I'll just buy. And I was like, geez, really? Like, that is so fucking awesome shit. Yeah. And he's really supportive. And also, I just feel like that's a you know, a good story of just a lot of times I think we're really precious about what, uh, how and why we go about certain ways of getting our projects out into the world. And sometimes it's literally as easy as showing up to a place and, you know, (laughs) making your your pitch to someone. See, being an introvert, that shit's hard. Like, I have to, like, really pretend to be a social person. I would say majority of people think I'm a very social person until they meet me. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they also think I'm a tall person until they meet me too and they're like whoa you're like barely five feet that's funny yeah. yeah do you have any like weird like misconceptions everyone's just like wait what when they first meet you uh, well people also think I'm taller actually than I am um I'm a I'm a good five foot three I think but people um, tell me I have the energy of someone who is maybe five six five seven <laughs> see that's um, a I do wear yeah, I guess so. I do wear uh, a lot of like, you know, heeled boots, so that also could add to the misconception. Um, but, you know, I think maybe one of the misconceptions is that I, I am more um, eloquent in person is what people might expect, uh, because also sometimes people hear me on podcasts or radio, but in person I can be extra awkward and just socially a little strange. So that can be shocking sometimes, I think. 
I'm the quiet person in person where like people will just keep talking and talking and I'll just listen and they'll be like, do you, do you know how to speak words? (laughs) I'm looking on your site, by the way. I think that people think that you're tall because of low angles of pictures. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll keep that in mind for the next round of headshots. That's what I have people do for me. So I'm just like, no, no, no. It looks better if you shoot up. It makes people think I'm taller. <laughs> I think that's the like female equivalent of big dick energy. So, <laughs> but no, don't don't worry. You look kick ass. Can you say Thank your you. DJ name again? I don't want to fuck it up. Yeah, it's DJ Mommy Miami or DJ Mommy Miami. Either one. Why do you, you pick got that? It. Well, actually, um, maybe seven years ago, there was a online tool called Dragulator that RuPaul's Drag Race put out when I was first watching the show where you could make your own drag queen. And a lot of the drag queens on that show are uh, Puerto Rican or they're from Florida. And so when I was coming up with my drag queen name for this little online tool <laughs> um, where I uploaded a photo of my head, I decided to pick Mommy Miami because I thought it was funny and also um, I liked the that it's the same letters, basically just rearranged twice. No, it definitely And then works. I stuck with it and I never thought about how people would assume I was from Miami, which is a totally fair assumption to make and I always have to let people down and it's pretty sad for, for them when they think I'm from Miami and I have to explain that I'm not and I'm just, you know, stealing the name. I know, like, it's like, oh, you think that you're from the really cool hip area of the world and said, I'm from the really hip white area of the world. Uh, for, for which place? Miami oh, Portland. versus Portland. Then again, yeah. Yeah, there are shit ton of white people in Miami, too, in different neighborhoods. I, I tend to go more like Little Havana, shit like that. Have you been mm-hmm. to Miami? I've actually never been, but I feel like I need to go for various reasons, one of which is that, you Thanks know, for my the name, name, of course, but the other reason is that I want to eat all the food. Oh, they have great food. Oh, my God. And yeah. it's not in the places that you think they're going to be. Like, a lot of them are, like, shitty-looking places, but they have the best food. Yeah, I want to go get some croquetas, and there's, like, apparently the Palacio de Jugos, so just all the, um, you know... All the, all the food out there. You're making me so hungry, and it's only like 3 o'clock <laughs> here. What time is it over by you? 1? Yeah. Okay. See, for me, it's like I'm in between lunch and dinner, so I'm just like, I shouldn't be hungry. But <laughs> you could be fantasizing about food right now. This is your eating time. Definitely. But no, you would love Miami. I think you'd be a good D, DJ there, too. Like, you have to do a few sets uh, there. Yeah. That would be super fun. The, yeah, like, hopefully that'll happen. Awesome. They yeah, have a really good underground like punk scene and everything, not just like obviously uh, DJing and everything. They have so many cool places to like party. You know, that's actually a misconception. Are you a partier? I am not really a partier, actually. Um, I will, you know, also DJ until like, you know, 2.30 sometimes uh, here in Portland. Um and then, you know, I get home, it's 3 or 3 o'clock. I mean, 3 or 3.30. Um, but I am actually an early riser, a convert. I used to be always the person who would stay up till 3 just any day. Um, 
to, you know, work the internet or work on writing or whatever. But I, yeah, I ended up dating a teacher who had a very strict schedule and ended up um, adapting to it. And I actually learned I really like mornings and it's when I prefer to do my writing because the obligations of the day don't take over yet and, you know, I have my full energy. So it's interesting DJing still. Um, so, so for work, I do teaching workshops right now and also uh, doing different speaking events where I'll go to universities and we'll talk about my book. And then I will often do a creative writing workshop with students, which is super fun. And so if there's anybody out here listening from Miami who wants to invite me to speak and or DJ, I am your girl. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to like just send this to all my Miami friends and be like, yo, mommy Miami wants you. Yes, exactly. But yeah, no, it's been really fun. Actually, right before um, book tour and sort of for the duration of the, of the pandemic, I had a full-time job working as the director of youth programs at Literary Arts in Portland, which is a literary nonprofit and I was in charge of managing programs of creative writing to help uh, youth access different creative writing classes or avenues for publication. And it was amazing and such a helpful thing to be focusing on, especially in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But when my book came out and I also started graduate school, I'm a, a graduate student at Randolph College in their low residency MFA. It was just, it became too much to balance. And so I returned to freelance, which I'd been doing for about four or five years before taking on that job. So when I say that I'm back from tour and getting reacquainted with my new schedule in life, I literally mean I'm figuring out what my new life looks like and building my schedule around writing and making time for actually like exercising and things that are good for my body <laughs> and um, yeah, well-being. I was going to say, after tour, I've done only one tour that was back when I had a poetry book that came out. I'm more of a novelist now, and you couldn't mm. pay me to try and read in front of people. I'm too shy. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> no, like your body gets like trashed. You get like really mm -hmm. exhausted. You're eating crappy food. You're not like sleeping. You're ending up in like different rooms and cities every night. How like mm -hmm. exhausting was like your like touring? Yeah, I, I did a lot of research beforehand about um, like actually food and just different tips from people. It's kind of hard to find, so maybe one day I'll write an article <laughs> with tips on how to take care of yourself, especially like writers. Um, oh, but I, would I, I would definitely read that. Yeah, I feel like it would be helpful. Um, or maybe crowdsourcing different folks' take because, you know, more people have more opinions. But um, I ended up getting like a small cooler and having, you know, drinks and and um just like easy things to snack on on the road to try to avoid stopping at like fast food and things like that but I also brought like my pillow because I have a lot of chronic pain and even still in all the different sort of uh ways that I prepared what I wasn't prepared for was how just exhausting it would be driving yes. I love driving but when you're driving, your attention is on like a hundred percent. So what I would find is that I thought I'd be able to like do uh, other work that I had to get done while I was on the road. And I just really didn't have capacity for it. So that was um, surprising and a big lesson that I will take with me next time. Hopefully I do a book tour. It's one of those things where 
if you were like say in your late teens or early 20s, I feel like you could have gotten that multitasking done, but <laughs> maybe. That's true. That's true. Cause yeah, I and the one, thing like, is, when I was like 22, but now I'm just like my body. I, I don't even think I could sit in a car for longer than eight hours. Yeah, and I think that you know, there's a sort of unlearning that I'm trying to work through of just pushing myself and pushing myself because I I have long been um, the victim of pushing myself too much and then burning out. And I knew that I couldn't really burn myself out on this tour. Or yeah, maybe um, you know, 10 years ago I would have just kept pushing myself but also I think a lot about what is actually urgent in life and often I don't think work is I mean of course it's like if you have to be somewhere it's sort of different but um, with things like you know invitations for example to do press or to be um, you know in conversation with somebody I think people are pretty understanding actually and setting boundaries um, while sometimes hard can actually become easier over time and just being like actually you know I didn't anticipate this this is the first time I've ever done this can we push this and people were usually like yeah no worries at all so that was that was reassuring Mm -hmm. so how many places did you go I went to um I think I think 12 different places and I started in um Oregon went down to California then went over to Tucson Arizona uh, El Paso, Texas, and then sort of made, made my way up through New Mexico and Colorado. And my last event was in Idaho. And so I went to a bunch of new states I'd never been to and also had a lot of um, time off, actually, even in between some of those events. But it was still a pretty, pretty fast pace. You made like a very like, elongated loop. I guess in America. Yeah, is what I did I'm a imagining. big, a big square. Yeah, I guess that would probably be. <laughs> Idaho is a place you don't want to like be multitasking while driving. I, I could recommend that. Oh really? Why? Oh, I got in a car accident there once. Uh, it was late at oh. night though, and like two in the morning, yeah. and I hadn't slept for a very long time, and I was the one driving, and I was also trying to think of something that I was like writing at the same time, and. Mm. I'm the person, if you ever get to know me, I make a lot of dumbass mistakes. I mean well, but I'm mm-hmm. very klutzy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it out okay. And yeah, I mean, that's another thing too, like, you know, being able to plan and knowing that I I personally hate night driving and I wear glasses and it's harder to drive at night. And so I just try not to drive at all at night and learning to build that into the schedule is also, I think, just it takes time sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the only reason I would drive at night is if I found that I like took too long hanging out during the day because I too try to avoid the burnout. So I like to kind of, it's dorky. I like to stare at the clouds mm-hmm. and relax and zen out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But mm-hmm. no, I too yeah, wear glasses true. and yeah, that, that'll that sometimes cause a little bit of a glare though if you hit someone with like uh, brights on and everything and you're like, oh my God, the reflection and. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is like a weird part of the podcast where I'm just complaining about my life. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, this happens a lot of the time too, but usually it takes a little bit longer. (laughs) It's like therapy for me. It takes longer until you complain. (laughs) No, no worries. I'm sure someone will resonate with it out there. 
Potentially. Someone with glasses is like, I know your pain. Our fellow glasses wearers. Definitely. (laughs) Our short fellow glasses wearers. How how short are you? Uh, 5'3". Yeah, you're still taller than me. Yeah, I yeah you said five five foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I win at the height thing. I I know I I'd like to say I win as being the short person, but I think I have met like a couple writers shorter than us. Oh wow! I know it's always nice. awesome because you're like, oh my god, I'm actually taller than someone else. Like it shocks you. <laughs> One of the benefits of being short that I just learned this week actually is that you don't have to worry about people being able to look up your nose to see if there's boogers in your nostrils. Ew. You know, in COVID times, that really <laughs> brings up so many questions. I just was looking at my partner, and um, I could see up his nose, and uh, I was like, wow, that's cool. I never have to worry about that. No one will ever be, except for maybe you, but I don't think you're that much shorter than me to be able to see up my nose. Well, I, I, I would never have the interest, so <laughs> I wouldn't be, like, looking up, being like, ah, I see it. <laughs> No. Well, thank you. My theory is keep your mask on, and I don't want to see your fucking nose. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. What are the uh, COVID rules like over by you? Um, so they're pretty uh, like strict, which was actually one of the interesting things about going on tour in the middle of a pandemic when I thought that maybe at that point things would be getting better. You know, a lot of us thought in the summer things would be getting better. But alas, um, we live where we live and that's not, (laughs) yeah. Um, But yeah, here you have to wear masks indoors pretty much everywhere. Um, The, I think the exception is bars. I don't know if all bars are, you can be, I think you can be unmasked after you enter and you have to wear a mask at the actual bar. But I basically have just been, Extra vigilant because I don't want to get COVID, and so you definitely don't. I, I stick to outdoor outdoor venues and things like that, or or wearing masks inside, and usually not eating or drinking. I'm just imagining people just going maskless to a bar and just being like, you know, that is probably like the least where you should have a mask on. Like you you should have the mask on in that situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's confusing to me because also I'm a DJ, right? So. Normally we have a residency that we do at a local bar and it's just been a decision that I've personally had to make that is different from some of the members in my collective, which is, you know, to each their own, but also, um, especially when like the Delta variant was going about and I had people I knew, including actually some DJs I know get COVID and be vaccinated still. I was just like, I don't feel like I want to be a part of, uh, the responsibility of bringing people together and worrying if they're going to be safe or not. So mm-hmm. I've actually, for the most part, been not doing any DJ events at bars and I have been doing them for private events. Um, but for the most part, they're, they're either masked or I'm like, as long as I'm masked and far away from people, then hopefully it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll see. And like with the touring and everything, like, how do you do that? Like, is everyone still wearing their mask and like, are you outside and everything there too? Like with the funeral for Flacco? Yeah, that's a great question. So I planned it to be in September because I knew that the weather would still be good in most places. 
um, turns out still very hot in places like Arizona and New Mexico, southern New Mexico. Um, Not here. But, yeah, also, like, San Diego is very hot. Um, But what was really amazing to me was that even in, for example, the venue I had my event at in El Paso, Texas, the community didn't have a mask mandate. That particular venue didn't have a mask mandate, and they often did actually unmasked events but when I requested that people wear masks and I put it I just basically put it on the posters um, everyone there wore the mask which was amazing and just well you know really reaffirming that folks were willing to maybe do something that they don't normally do um, because I had requested it for my own safety and because I also was often staying at friends houses and things like that you know it was extra important to me to be as safe. So for the events that weren't outdoors, which a lot of them were, but the ones that weren't, we required masks, even if, um, again, it wasn't the norm necessarily in the place. And were you doing like social distancing and like max capacity or? Well, I'm not that popular yet, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, maybe next time, hopefully not next time, hopefully the pandemic will end in one day or something, but. Um... It could be end times. I think it's end times. <laughs> Yeah, it's possible. I've I've been down to some rabbit holes. <laughs> hey, you know what? If it was end times, you just came out with a great book. So, like, you're going out on a high. Yeah, that's all I wanted to do in life. So that's the main thing. It's done. <laughs> like, you could just go off and just DJ into the happy world now. Go back to Portland and just chill. Yeah. Never write again. But what would your next, like, writing project be? Well, I'm actually in the midst of my next writing project because it is the book that I thought I was going to write first. And it is the book now that is going to be my second book that I've still been working on for a long time. But it is a more traditional narrative structure. So it'll read more like fiction with a lot more scene work um, about actually being hospitalized with bipolar disorder. And... I needed a lot of time and space from it because it was super traumatic to go through and to be able to also learn the skills that I wanted to be able to tell the story how I wanted to. But for now, it's a, it's still these memoir projects. I feel like I need to, um, yeah, just kind of get out and lay to rest. And I do definitely want to experiment more with fiction, um, but I just have a couple other things I'm trying to get through first. <laughs> I mean, if your life is interesting enough for nonfiction, then why not? <laughs> yeah. I wish to have an interesting life. I I really am just a very boring-ass person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you have moved a lot of places. I, feel, I you know, the, the writing teacher in me is like, there are interesting things in everyone's life. Um, I'd like I to think imagine. to an extent. Whether or not it's a whole book, that's one thing. But I feel like everyone's got an essay in them if they wanted to. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. I I just wrote a book. I have it where everyone, like, it's a fictional book, but everyone just keeps, like, reading in between the pages and being like, which person is me? It's like, (laughs) it's a made-up book. I swear to God. It's no one. Yeah. Is it weird doing nonfiction then, though? Like, because, like, there are actually people reading it, and they're like, that's me. Yeah, it's interesting, and I didn't know. I just kind of thought that not a lot of people would read my book, so I didn't worry too much about um, checking in with people about it before it was published, which turns out some people are reading it. 
Um, and I didn't anticipate some of the things that certain people would be upset by. And I've just had had a, a lot more conversations than I expected. But I think that ultimately it's a good thing. And also I feel like this next book that I'm working on, I'm going to try extra hard to anonymize everybody so I don't have to do as much emotional labor down the road. Yeah, um, but definitely it, a good idea. I also hear what you're saying too about people sort of reading into it. And um, I have had some people also just kind of like, you know, people bring, people always bring their own lived experiences to work um, that they read. And I've had to also deal with, you know, different people who are really like projecting when they come to my readings and, you know, especially things about whiteness that make people uncomfortable. Um, I've had to have some sort of boundary setting with people sometimes where I'm like, I'm writing about myself and my experience and I'm not making grand statements about the world really. Um, and so just try to see the work for what it is, please. Or just please don't talk to me. <laughs> Can you go more into the whiteness thing or? Yeah, like I've just had, um, you know, I, I think also it's like where I live, it's pretty, uh, people are pretty open about talking about whiteness, but um, in other, some other places that I've gone to, it's not so commonplace. Um, but I had someone email me who went to one of my readings and was like, I'm a white teacher and like, I can't believe that you would say that white women have no place teaching and like wrote me this whole email. And I was like, Damn. I never said that. I think that white women teaching is fine. Like, I don't know what is happening. Um, but it, it's very offensive that email? you came to my, yeah. But I'm like, you came to my reading. I read all this work that you basically made up this narrative that didn't exist. Um, and so like, I, I, you know, I kind of was like, I'm just going to mirror back to you that like, yes, this is inappropriate. You're posing is this inappropriate. Yes, it is. And like, you need to do your own work. If you are attending something and you're hearing things that, you know, I didn't say, um, you have your own work to do and I'm not the person to do it for you. Definitely. I would have just not replied. Yeah, I thought about it, but I also was like, it feels good to just <laughs> tell this person that they're inappropriate. And uh, yeah, just like, you know, if you're doing this to me, who else are you, you know, poor random women of color are you doing this to in your life? Probably. I mean, obviously they probably... Number, yeah. Or they don't know any, and that's why they're reaching out to me. <laughs> like you're just like the group representative. Yes, exactly. So I was like, yeah, this... No, this isn't working. Um, now I'm not yeah. sure if I should be sending you like Miami fans or like a lot of like angry white Karens. Um, please don't send me any more <laughs> white Karens. We we have plenty of those in the world that I'm sure will find their way to me if they need to, but hopefully they don't. Hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, given what you do, probably not. I mean, if there is a Karen like at a nightclub while you're DJing, that would be really intriguing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I have actually um, done some DJing events at, uh, for example, there's this like theater and um, like a performing arts theater. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, done the soundtrack with the venue. And then I've had like a, um, a Karen <laughs> come up to me and be like, um, can you turn it down? It's really loud. I'm like, this is what I've been hired to do. <laughs> so they're out there. They're out there in certain settings. They're everywhere. Um, 
exception yeah. other countries that well, they're, they're in other places i was trying my hardest in istanbul about like a week ago right before i got back here i was talking to my fiance's cousin because we were talking about karen's me him and like his sister who are all americans and everything and he was like what 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 is the karen that's just like a name and everything and the agreement mm-hmm. really is just uh karen's for people in places other than the United States are just Americans. So, <laughs> yeah. We are the Karens for the rest of the world. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they have no other great descriptor for it. <laughs> Non-Turkish, That's at funny. least. Yeah. Do they have any, like, great, like, God, what an annoying asshole person in Spanish? Entitled? Um... Uh... Well, see, entitled well, white bitch, like, that just be, like, gringa? I mean, gringa doesn't necessarily always mean bitch. No, um, no, just white person. Puta. Yeah, that means white person. <laughs> no, puta means bitch. <laughs> yeah. But there, there is a, a phrase for, like, um, hoity-toity people called mm-hmm. fresa, which translates literally to strawberry, <laughs> but... Um, it means like someone kind of like with their yeah nose up in the air. Fuck yeah! I love the fact that there is different weird slang and innuendos. I would yeah. Guess so they'll that. be like, niña or niño, usually girl or boy. Um, fresa. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend now everybody start using that now just to fuck with the Karens. <laughs> so they're like, how dare yeah. you call me that? Then you're just gonna fuck with them. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, before we run out of time, would you like to read some Funeral for Flaca or any of your new work? Um, sure, I can read from Funeral for Flaca. Um, was there a particular essay or um, sort of time frame that you were thinking of for this? Honestly, uh, whatever you feel most connected to. I'm wide open here. Well, you know what I'll read then, because I can read the whole thing, it's not that long, is um, I haven't read this one that much, but I do like reading it on occasion because it is um, a very small glimmer of hope and like a sense of solitude in a, in a life and or essay collection that otherwise is navigating a lot of different uh, hardships, uh, um, mostly. And one of the things I didn't mention earlier was that the narrative voice of the essays progressed from when I'm younger, around five years old, and to the point when I'm 29. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that reflected in the collection. And this one is called Supernova Girl, and I'm going to take a sip of water, and then I can read it for you. Fuck yes. Very excited. All right. The cerulean glow of a square television set illuminates my bedroom as it hangs above the dresser. It's Friday night. I'm 10 years old. I live for Disney Channel original movies and Xenon, the sequel, is debuting. While the opening credits roll, I walk into the kitchen past my mom and Hector to grab the wrinkled white paper bag. Courage, the cowardly dog, is on, and my mom uses two-thirds of the kitchen table to fold our laundry. Erica is out at a football game again and won't be home until late. I wonder if her friend Anne has found the band-aid I stuck into her poofy brown hair yet, 
the one I put on right before we dropped them off at the Sarah High School football game. I placed the Wendy's bag on top of a TV tray positioned right in the middle of my room. The milky rubber chair I picked out from the Target dorm room collection to make me feel older fits perfectly behind it. I closed my Spice Girl sticker-laden door for privacy and to block out the sound of cartoons from my baby brother. As I unload the bag, I carefully fold the sack for recycling. The soda cup holding my Dr. Pepper is covered in tiny beads of water. I wipe them away with a napkin. I peel the wax wrapper to reveal a melty square junior bacon cheeseburger. Its sesame bun is generously seated and crisp to perfection. Then I release the salty fries from their packaging onto the wrapper and next to it, deposit two mounds of cherry red ketchup. Finally, the movie begins. A blonde pigtailed white girl in pink and blue latex squeals, the French rock concert is coming to space. I take my first bite of burger and think this is the best Friday night ever. I am happy. That's it. I like it. I like it a lot. You have such great reading voice. I know. It's, <laughs> Thank you. It's such like a dorky compliment, but compliment. But no, like you're really good at doing the pauses and everything. I really liked that chapter. I was very happy you picked that. Why did you uh, pick that you. title? Um. So that one is called um, Supernova. Supernova Girl, which is the one of the songs. It's actually the song in the first Xenon, not the sequel, <laughs> but it is a song that is pivotal to the movie Xenon. Um. And I thought, what better song to play in the background than Supernova Girl? Tell me, did you listen to that while writing it? Or? <laughs> um, I have listened to it several times. I've listened to it probably at a, at a later point when I was writing it. Um, in the very beginning, actually, this, this piece started with just a memory of sitting in that room eating the burger. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was just trying to figure out for a long time, I had that memory just be like one of the Christmas memories. And I was like, why is this memory stuck in my head? What is it? And for a while too, at different stages of my life, I'd be like, oh, it's kind of sad. I was alone. And then other times I was like, oh, it's weird. Like it was fast food and I was so happy. And then later I was like, of course I was happy. I was 10 years old and what nice, what a nice memory to feel happy being in your solitude because we're often taught not to um, be happy alone. And the fact that I was like, this is amazing uh, is actually a really sweet memory. And so then I sort of stripped what used to be a much longer essay um, that had more reflection in it to just be the memory itself. I would be super intrigued to actually like see that other essay. The original. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's changed a lot over the years, like, but uh, um, locking it away into the vault. Yeah, I think it wasn't the right, ultimately the right form it was supposed to take place in. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is the the spaces where I feel drawn to say like you and to sort of speak about society, and 
I think that comes from my journalistic background and also having done an internship at Bitch Media when I was 20, that was really like formative. But mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I was working with my mentor and what she says is that behind the you, there's always an I. And sometimes that's kind of a protective thing that we do in nonfiction is to write about it broadly, um, but it can have a lot more impact when you write about it personally. So I'm trying to push myself to continue with that. And this is something I did even before she said that, but I feel like that's what wasn't working about the essay previously in this other form was that I was trying to apply too much also of like this adult lens on it when I just wanted to think, like really preserve it in the child version of it for the sake also of this collection. Mm -hmm. Well, I dig that. So is there anything you'd like to plug before we go or? Uh, what I will say, because I know that you have a lot of music listeners, is that um, this if collection, If you want to tell Feel us any playlists or anything. Well, I actually have a playlist that accompanies the collection on Spotify. So um, if people go to tinyurl.com slash flaca, F-L-A-C-A dash playlist, then they can actually uh, hear not only the title tracks, but then also different songs that are mentioned throughout the collection. And folks can check that out. And also if they want to keep in touch with me in other ways, I am at Emily G. Prado. That's Emily with two L's, E-M-I-L-L-Y, G. Prado, P-R-A-D-O, on Instagram, Twitter, um, sometimes Facebook. Facebook is dying, but <laughs> I do a lot of writing workshops too and um, sometimes virtual DJ things too. So definitely check it out. All right. I like that you pointed out that Facebook is dying. I agree with you. <laughs> dying yeah. or it's, we're just abandoning it. I don't know. One, one way or the other. Yeah, I think they're the same thing. <laughs> it's the Titanic and we're going for the lifeboats. The other ones aren't. Yeah. MySpace all over again. Oh, I actually miss MySpace, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I was sad about uh, in my research process, not being able to access was MySpace because I couldn't get into any of my old accounts. I was going to say, at certain points throughout this book, I just kind of had a MySpace vibe. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, I, I could imagine reading this there. Oh, thanks. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> I never know if that's a compliment a or not. No, I it's it's a I have a fun fun uh, place in my heart for. Oh yeah, my same here. It was the way you could <laughs> passively aggressively tell which friend you liked better than the other, and you learned how to yeah and put cool music. Actually, up. and like the, the cool music thing is funny because um, definitely um, you know also could have been its own soundtrack of your life, right? Like if we had a list of all the different sounds or songs that were on our profiles. Like, I wish I had that information because that tells a story in and of itself. If you had a MySpace right now, what would be your main song? Oof, my main song. Yeah. Hmm. First thing people hear. I mean, probably keep your head up. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah, it's, that's my, that's my go-to. I dig it. I dig it. I hate to yeah. say that mine is probably going to be some really dorky, like, Paul Simon song, but... <laughs> good vibes, good vibes. <laughs> yeah, I've been in, like, a really, like, the pandemic brought out a very strange side of me. 
I'm usually <laughs> very heavy, like punk rock and everything and uh, hip hop and everything. But suddenly I'm just like, wow, I'm really vibing in the 60s and 70s. All right. Yeah, I feel that. Sometimes you just need that like mental health music. <laughs> Mhm mhm yeah that, I did a lot of that on my on my road trip book tour a lot, a lot of Fleetwood Mac some boss you know uh just just needed some good energy out there Neil Young Dude, Oh my god Neil Young yes <laughs> Yeah we could bond over music this, this this is great I want people to definitely check out your playlist On Malton House books we actually tend to do like a QR code for people to do on the back of the book that leads to a playlist, but I'm happy you actually. That's super cool. Yeah, I think people will like yours though. That's pretty kick ass. It's it's been fun, um, and I have also had some complaints that not every song that I mention is on there, so I need to do like another combing through and uh, update it because yeah, people people want all the songs. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Damn it. Yeah, we're not getting as long what as we want anywhere music. else. So please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everywhere else we're getting fucked over. The least we could do is uh, you give us the right songs. Yeah, I'll work on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to let you go. You work on those songs, goddammit. Yes, I will do that. Thank you so much for for having me and for chatting. It's been been real. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the questions, the conversation, and all the music talk. Hell yes, and thank you for being so cool with me being awkward and spazzy. It's been really fun. (laughs) Likewise. All right, that was Emily Prado. I recommend checking out her book, Funeral for Flaca, from Future Tense Books. If you want to get to know more of her work, check out her website, emilyprado.com, with two L's. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, please leave us a rating and review, check out past episodes, and keep a lookout for the new ones to come. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show.